character. Perhaps because the serpent's poison was a threat to life and their lidless eyes are, well, creepy, serpents have been associated with both death and wisdom. Some cultures recognize the serpent to be evil and demonic, but someone to be worshipped and praised. Others thought of the serpent to represent wisdom. There was a Sumerian god, Ningish Zizda, who is portrayed in serpent shape, and his name means Lord of the Productive slash Steadfast Tree and is ruler of the underworld. In Egypt, the serpent was portrayed as a wise and magical creature. In Genesis 3, we find the serpent to be crafty, which means that he is smart, but not the godly kind of wisdom. Instead, he's evil and deceitful, and that's exactly what he does to Adam and Eve. He deceives them into doing evil. The serpent's promise to be like God did not come true, and the result was shame. He was able to convince Adam and Eve to reject God, but don't worry, his curse is that he gets to crawl on his belly, and then one day, Jesus is going to crush his head. So, there you go, a little bit about the serpent, and that's enough today for our historical minute. Ningishizda. Ningishizda. There you go. Something like that. <laughs> unique New York. Unique New York. I was trying to pronounce how to figure out how to pronounce that. And I don't even know if I got it right. But well, with that, let's go ahead and let's pray. Uh, dear Jesus, we, um, we, we thank you for bringing us together on this evening where we can come together for worship and to study your word. We pray, Lord, that especially as we get into this section on sin and temptation, we pray, Lord, that... Um, that this is a section that we could really walk out of here uh, applying to our lives and just having learned a lot about you and about sin and humanity. In all this we pray, amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 3. And if you don't have a Bible, there will be some on the screen, although you can also um, download a Bible app and you can follow along that way. And yes, we do allow electronics in church, okay? Don't worry, no one's going to scold you too harshly if you're using an iPhone or an iPad. Um, but here we are in Genesis 3.1. So here's what it says. And as James pointed out, uh, here's the phone number on the bottom, 602-899-1602. And they are at least filtered or moderated. And so if you text like something just like really mean about, you know, how ugly James is or something like that, then my guess is that uh, he may or may not, uh, you know, put that up here. So they are somewhat moderated, right, James? Yes. Okay. So uh, let's get right into it. So Genesis 3.1, it says this. Now the serpent, and let me just pause here for a second. So we're already pausing. Uh, the serpent, as um, this handsome guy, nice shirt, by the way, in that video, uh, pointed out was that the serpent was uh, apparently Satan either possessed a serpent or just took the form of a serpent. Um, and so, you know, for example, like spirits, I guess, can do this. Like we find in um, Matthew 4 with Jesus' baptism, we find that, or is it Matthew 5? We find that um, the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove. And so we just kind of, we find that throughout scripture. But uh, for sure, what we find here is we find the serpent uh, who is Satan and he's going to deceive Adam and Eve. And it uses this word here. He was more crafty. That's what the ESV translates it. Um, some other translations will say he is uh, wise. 
is or that he is um, shrewd. That's, that's another uh, translation. And what's interesting about this word is this word in Hebrew is used throughout the Old Testament, sometimes in a positive way. Like even if you think of the word shrewd, uh, Jesus even talks about a shrewd manager and how that's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing if you're a manager, you should, know, you should be somewhat shrewd, right? You should uh, know your numbers. You should be somewhat um, good with, with money and, and you know, financially responsible. And so this word shrewd here sometimes can be used in a positive way. But for sure what we're finding here is that it's used in a negative way. And that's why I love the ESV translation. It's crafty. Because you just imagine someone who's, who's manipulative. You imagine someone who's, who's kind of always got that angle, you know? You know, um, you know that person that, that they're really sly. Um, they're deceitful. You, you know they got something up their sleeve. Uh, they're, not, they're not wholesome. It's not godly. And that's for sure the kind of description we have here of the servant. Uh, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So all the way throughout the Garden of Eden section, so Genesis 2 and 3, uh, we're going to constantly hear this phrase, the Lord God. So anytime you notice in the Bible where it has Lord, and it doesn't quite show up on here, but like if you have a hard copy of the Bible, a lot of times it will have a capital L, and then it's capital, but it's like small capital, you know what I'm talking about? O-R-D. And anytime that it, it does that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that's Yahweh. That, that's the word for, for Yahweh. And so the word for God in Hebrew uh, is Elohim. And Elohim is just kind of, it's kind of like the the way we use the word God today. Whenever someone says God, are you talking about the true living God or are you talking about, you know, another God? Uh, are you talking about Allah? Are you talking about Buddha? You know, who are you talking about? Um, and so Elohim is kind of a generic term for, for God in the um, Canaanite uh, ancient Near Eastern time. But anytime that you find the word Lord, and especially whenever it's capitalized and it's kind of small capitalized like that, what you're going to find is you're going to find that's Yahweh. And so, so it's specifically, it's, it's, it's Yahweh Elohim. It is, it is the Lord God had made. And that's important because whenever we get to the serpent, when they start talking, that's not how they refer to God. They don't refer to God as Yahweh Elohim. They just refer to him as Elohim. So we'll get to that in a minute. But it says this, it says, uh, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And so what I love about this is that the serpent is, is going to deceive Adam and Eve and there's a progression. So it's, 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 it's not like the serpent just comes all at once and says, you should go eat the fruit of that tree. In fact, one of the things that we're going to find tonight is that the serpent never really says to do it. The serpent just gets Adam and Eve to doubt and then lies to them. But it starts off with this progression. And so the first progression is, did God really say? And I can tell you that there are people out there who I've talked to so many times, and it's amazing because they know Scripture so well. I mean, they're the kind of person where, um, I mean, if you ask them, hey, is this in the Bible? They'll say, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely in the Bible. And, and they'll, they'll be able to quote it. And they'll be able to tell you the context around it. I mean, they're so smart. They know the Bible. They know what God said. 
But then what they'll try to do is they'll say, yeah, but, you know, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to maybe other people or it applied back then, but that doesn't apply to me. And so really what, what Satan is doing here is Satan today is going to work on Christians. And I believe this so heartily because I've seen so many of this, is that the God or the Satan is going to work on Christians. And, and what he's doing is he's just kind of poking a little bit, saying, did God really say to, to, to do that? Did God, did, God, did God really say that? I mean, are, are you sure that he really said that? And so, so what he's first getting Adam and Eve to do is to doubt God's word. And so anytime that we look at God's word and we say, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. Or we say, yeah, but did God really say that? Or did God really mean that for 2017? Then we're doing exactly what Adam and Eve did here. So did God really say? And by the way, anytime that Satan is going to tempt you into anything, it's going to start with this. It's going to start, did God really say that? So then in verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So what I love about this is that, like, she knows, right? She knows better. Um, There are some people out there who, who live their lives contrary to God's will and contrary to the Bible, and they just don't know any better. I mean, it's like they've never heard oh, I shouldn't do this. Like, they just don't know. But there are some people who absolutely know better. And, and for Eve, here she is. She absolutely knew better. I mean, she was able to, to, to spout it out. No, God really did say that. So, so she's countering. So we have this conflict between the serpent and the woman. She's, she's countering what the serpent said with, with God's word. Although what's kind of interesting here is that she actually uh, adds to it. See, I, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but she adds, neither shall you touch it. She just kind of added that, which I, I, I find very interesting. So already she's kind of, she's already kind of going a, away from, from God's command here. Even though that she knows it so well, she's already kind of adding to it. She's going away from it. And as well, the reason I went into that whole deal about the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, anytime that um, Genesis, the author of Genesis 2 and 3 here is, is using God's name, it's, it's, it's Yahweh Elohim, it's Lord God. But whenever uh, Satan uses, he does not refer to God as Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. He just refers to him as just Elohim, just God. And, and how does Eve respond? Eve already responds with, with the description, not that God gave himself, but the description of what Satan had given God. So already she's, even though that she's spouting back out, yeah, no, God really said not to do it. Even there, there's just a little hint of, of already doubt and a little different than what God had commanded. So where were we? Somewhere. Verse three, maybe. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, verse three. Yeah, lest you die. So then in verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Okay, so notice this progression. So it starts off with, did God really say? I mean, I know that, I know that he's, you know, that, that he commanded that, but, but did he really say that? So he starts off with this kind of question, this doubt, and then it moves from there to just absolutely a flat-out lie. He just absolutely lies to her in her face, and he says, you will not surely die. So now he's 
completely contradicting God's word. You will not surely die. Then in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's the temptation here? The temptation is not just how delicious that fruit is on that tree, which by the way, could have been an apple, could have been a pineapple, although a pineapple would be kind of hard to bite into, you know, maybe a mango, maybe it was a pomegranate. Who knows what it was? The Bible doesn't say. We always, we always draw them with apples. I don't know why. But it's not just that the fruit's that delicious. And, and really, by the way, um, we're talking about the Garden of Eden here. You think there was delicious fruit on other trees? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, is, is really the, the, this tree have anything that special? It does. Because what Satan is tempting them with is no longer just the delicious, you know, pomegranate, mango thing. But instead what he's tempting them with is to be like God. And by the way, if there's any ever temptation out there today, isn't it just that? Isn't it just to be like God? Satan, by the way, by this point, uh, had already discovered, um, he had already wanted to be like God in, with the war in heaven. And he lost that battle. And, and so he already wanted to be like God. He already wanted to be God. And, and really, I got to say that today, that that's the same temptation that we have, is, is that, that, um, that we can be in control, that, that we can be God, and how tempting that is uh, for, for so many people, that we can be God of our own lives. We don't, need, we don't need God. We can be God. And so it's this pride it's this um, desire to elevate yourself above the true living God, and that's their temptation. And so, knowing good and evil, and so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delightful to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... See, so here's this word, this wisdom, this crafty um, discernment between good and evil is, is, is kind of what, what they're looking for here. To make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So notice Satan never said, do it. Do it! Do it! He didn't say that. Uh, you know, like the peer pressure, you know, um, Come on, kid. All right, no. It's not that. He, he just gets them to doubt God's word, and then he lies to them and gets them to contradict God's promises. And that's enough for them. And they do it. And so, uh, so Eve, it's tempting, it's delightful. Uh, she eats of it. And, and for those of you dudes who are in the room who are like, yeah, women, yeah. Um. Gave some to her husband who was where? He was watching the game away from her? No. He was, he was with her, all right? He, and so, so um, dudes, <laughs> uh, spiritual leaders of our households, uh, God has a calling here. And he was there and he, he, he allowed it to happen. 
he did. All right, we have a question. What kind of evil did Eve know at this point? How does she know what evil is? That's a good question. And, And really, to an extent, she probably didn't know a whole lot about evil. Um, you know, for us, we grow up in this broken, sinful world. And, you know, even as a kid, we can talk all day long about evil because we just grow up in it. We just know it. That's the only thing we do know is evil, evil in our world. And you're right for, to whomever asked this question, uh, to an extent, she really doesn't know much about evil. Um, but what she does know is she knows that, uh, God has created all this around her. And, and for sure, it must have been awesome. <laughs> she, she gets that. Um, but, but there's still a way out to reject God. And so I know this isn't quite answering your question, but I'm going to go on a quick tangent because it works well with this, is that um, God provided the opportunity and the possibility for sin, but God did not create sin. And there's a difference. And I know you guys are like, no, there's not. Okay, yes, there is. All right. So he created the possibility for sin, but he himself did not create sin. He did not create evil. Um, And the reason that he planted that tree in the middle of the garden uh, was a way out. It's it's if you want to reject me, here's the door. All right. I'm not going to force you to be in this relationship. If you want to leave me, there's, there's a door. There's a way out. And that's what that tree was. It was an exit. It was a way out of a relationship with God. And you would say, well, who would ever do that? Well, we all do <laughs> whenever we sin, every time we sin. Um, and, that's, and that's exactly what it is, is that if God were to create us without any possibility for rejection, then we'd all be robots. Um, I actually had an illustration. I even spent $12 on it. It was this uh, bear that I got tonight, and, or I got on Amazon last week, and you, you, um, you, you press the button, it says, I love you. And so I was going to use that as a demonstration to say, hey, look, this thing doesn't really love you. It's just programmed to say, I love you. And that's what we would be uh, if there was not that tree in the middle of the garden as a way out. We'd all be robots. We'd say, God, I love you, but we'd be programmed to say it because there would be no other thing to say. We can't say, God, I don't love you because that wouldn't be a possibility. So we would only say, God, I love you. So God created the possibility of sin. Now I say I had this illustration because uh, in my brilliance, I decided to use it for a game tonight in youth group and it got destroyed. So, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, there's that, I suppose. So I was gonna bring this bear up and it wasn't gonna do anything. I was like, that's pointless. So anyways, lesson learned. So, so here's the deal is that for, you're right, so for Eve and for Adam, they really didn't know much about evil. And, and in fact, whenever the serpent is talking to them, um, it must have sounded like a good idea. Oh, really, to actually, to, to be like God? Ooh, ooh. I mean, and, and this is the first time that they were, um, you know, really tempted with it. This is the first time they actually dealt with sin. Uh, for us, we, we, we've, we know sin. I mean, we, we get sin. Uh, but, but for them, they, they, they really didn't. And, and so, well, I guess we'll just continue back in the text here. Uh, So here's what it says. So it says um, in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so, so what happens is Satan gives them a promise. 
And sin and temptation will always make a promise. It will always say, you will be happier if you do this. You will be more fulfilled. You will be a better person. You will have received some sort of satisfaction by doing this, by rejecting God, by doing this sin. Sin always has that promise. And then the thing that we find with sin is that it may feel good in the moment. It may not, but it might. And if it does, then once we get to the other side of it, the promise is never fulfilled. You're never happier. You're never a better person. You're never more satisfied. You're never more fulfilled. The promise is empty. Sin is empty. And, and that's the thing that we find here with Adam and Eve, was that they were promised they were going to be like God. And what happens is that these, their eyes were opened. And, and now they, they can, in some ways, it, it's, it's kind of like what, what the serpent described, knowing good and evil. But it's absolutely not that at all. It's not like God. Instead, their sin has now resulted in shame. And so the first thing that they do is, is they are shameful. For, for They see themselves as they really are, naked. Uh, apparently, it wasn't a deal before then. They were just running around naked. No big deal. They didn't know any better. But, but as soon as they ate the fruit, now all of a sudden they recognize, they, they see who they really are. And, and, and the first thing that comes to them is shame. And, and so they, they hide and they cover themselves with fig leaves. I guess fig leaves were, they had big leaves. <laughs> and so you can sell a few of them together and it, it kind of does its purpose more than like, you know, little branches. So, uh, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God again. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Probably at night. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. So again, they have shame and they're hiding. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? Uh, so God, by the way, he's, it's not like he's genuinely asking, like, hey, uh-oh, where are they? No, he knows. It's kind of like, you know, whenever you're in high school and you come home and your parents are sitting at the dining room table and they're like, where were you? They already knew, all right? <laughs> like, you know, oh, I was at a friend's house having a Bible study. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They already knew, all right? God, God is not surprised about anything. It's not like you can throw God a surprise birthday party. He's shocked. Whoa, where did this come from? No, he's, he, he knows all. He sees all. Um, and he's, he's trying to get a confession out of Adam and Eve is what he's trying to do here. Um, by the way, just, just really quickly on this is that, see, this, once we experience sin, this idea of shame and covering and hiding ourselves um, is, is something that we all do. Uh, I can't even think back to whenever I was a kid. Um, we used to play baseball in our backyard, and our backyard was not the size of a baseball field, okay? And also, my family had um, this ginormous uh, window, but it was, like, broken up into a whole bunch of smaller windows, but it was ginormous. It was, like, half the house. And so you know where I'm going with this, right? Okay, so here we are. And, uh, you know, Hercules steps up to bat and decides to, uh, you know, hit a home run into my parents' bedroom. And so what we do is we all um, 
we all run. I mean, you know, like that's gonna make it any better. Let's just all run. Cause my parents won't ever figure out what happened. So we all ran. And then, um, and then was, we get out of the front yard and we go down the street, just even just one house. And there's like these shrubs that are just kind of in, in, it's kind of in the front yard of this person's house, but it was kind of like also like on the sidewalk, I guess. It wasn't quite their property, but, but we just hid in the shrubs. And, and we just thought we were so smart. Um, again, our parents would never figure it out that it was us who did it. And also, what's our plan? Like, I mean, it's going to get dark soon. Are we going to just stay there? And then if we do, aren't our parents going to be more mad that we didn't come home and all this? We weren't thinking, so we just hang out there for a while. Um, and, and that's what we did. And then eventually we got to our senses and and of course, our friends were gone, so, you know, there was that. But we had to go home and actually confess to our parents what happened. And so, so here's the deal is that, you know, I, I use that as, a, as an example when I was in, I think, third grade. But, but really, we can all relate to this idea of, of whenever, we, whenever we're confronted with our sin, um, we, we hide and, and we're, we're shame. And so, so then it continues in verse 10, and he, Adam said, he said, you know, God, I'm so sorry. It was completely my fault. I, I, I did it completely on my own and I'm wholeheartedly sorry. That's what he said. No, he said this. He said, um, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. All right. So he's just kind of explaining what happened, I guess. But then he said, uh, so God said this, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So again, it's not like God's like, wait, did you really? No, he knew, he knew, all right? Parents of the dining room table, they know, all right? Uh, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit of the tree and I ate. So Adam's confession was the blame game. Well, I mean, it was that woman, her, she's, she, she, she's the one. Uh, that, that, so he not only blames her, but who else does he blame? He blames God. Way to go. Way to go. All right. <laughs> like, you know, um, yeah, champion here. Okay. Way to go, buddy. So he blames the woman. He blames God, the woman that you gave me. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman says, continues the blame train here. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So again, blame, blame, blame. Blame's all going around. Blame's going around. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so a couple things here. So for one thing that God is doing is he's cursing the serpent is that he's, he's saying that it must, um, on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So it is actually, I guess, possible or likely that the serpent had legs. Now, if you think that snakes are scary by themselves, imagine snakes with legs, okay? Like, <laughs> Freaky, freaky. Um, so, I mean, you know, apparently that's what happened here. 
So he's, he's, he's taken away the legs of the snake, of the, of the serpent. But, but on top of that, what he's really saying here is he's saying a couple things. Um, by being on your belly is that you're, you're way less of a threat. Um, just imagine a snake. Again, snakes are still threatening. I mean, I hate them, okay? But uh, and, yeah, anyways, uh, living in Arizona, wrong state to live in apparently. But, um, but they're way less of a threat. And, and so part of it is that Satan's threat's going to be lower. But, but also, um, symbolically here, is that in uh, Canaanite cultures and religions, they would use this phrase, you're going to eat dust. And, and it's this idea um, that, that you're going to... Um, uh, well, so what they used to do whenever they would conquer different uh, towns or cities or whatever, one of the things that they would do is they would, they would you know, pin a person basically down to the ground. And so it was this phrase that they were eating dust. And so in other words, the Satan here, even though he triumphed here, um, is that even though he got a W, he got a victory here, but ultimately Satan is not going to be able to go on and to be able to have uh, victory uh, because he's, he's, gonna, he's cursed. He's now, um, he's less of a threat and also he's, um, he's going to eat dust. And so it's kind of a, a defeat statement. And to really clarify that um, in verse 15 is actually the first prophecy that we have in the Bible of the Messiah. So if anyone asks you, hey, where is the first prophecy of the Bible of the Messiah? Trivia, now you can say, hey, it's Genesis 3.15. Because here's what he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And so between, so in other words, there's going to come someone from Adam and Eve and their offspring later down the road who is able to, even though that Satan is able to, um, yeah, he shall bruise your head. It, and really, um, kind of a, a stronger translation of this would say that, that he will crush your head. Uh, it, it's this idea, whenever you bruise someone's head, it's, it's this defeat, okay? Um, but here it says, and you shall bruise his heel. So even though that you'll be able to attack him a little bit, even though you'll be able to nip at his heel a little bit, ultimately he's going to crush you. Ultimately he's going to defeat you. And uh, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, which uh, you know, came out now all, all the way back in 2004, but it has this uh, scene that I just love in the beginning where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying uh, to the Father and he's you know, sweating and he's uh, all that. Satan is standing right next to him, tempting him, uh, which is not necessarily in the Bible, but it's, it's really accurate of, of what happened because he was, he was um, not necessarily scared of, of the cross, although that would be bad. He was scared of, of the wrath of God, and he was being tempted, and he needed strength. Um, and so, so Satan and Jesus are having this conversation. He's tempting him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, what Satan does is he pulls back his, his cloak a little bit, and from the ground comes the snake. And then the snake goes up to Jesus' heel and bites his heel, and then Jesus turns around and crushes the snake's head. And, and that's referencing right here, Genesis 3.15. And so what Genesis 3.15 is saying is that between Adam and Eve, they're going to have this offspring, Jesus, who's going to come. And even though the Satan's going to try to nitpick at him a little bit, ultimately this person's going to defeat Satan. And he did whenever he defeated Satan on the cross. Um, and that's how he won. He defeated sin, death, and the devil on the cross. All right, so now to the woman. So 
God's not done, all right? He's cursed uh, the serpent, now he's got to curse two more people, all right? So to the woman, he said, I will certainly multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So women, uh, especially for those who have given birth, um, make sure whenever you get to heaven to give Eve a really strong high five, all right? Maybe to her face. No, you can't do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. But, but, that's, but that's the curse. So I guess that childbearing was going to be uh, a little painful. And now it's like a lot painful. Okay? So, so thanks. Thanks, Eve, for that. Okay? Uh, verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So if you ever you attend an Ash Wednesday service here, we say this. We say... Uh, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And, and, and really, you've got to imagine, um, in chapter 2, verse 7, we talked about last week, about how God takes dust from the ground, and he actually breathes life into it. And that's how he creates Adam. And in fact, the word Adam, um, they would pronounce it Adam, uh, is, is very similar to the word earth, or, or, or dust. Uh, so it's from the dust of the ground that, that God is breathing this life into for Adam. And, and so he came from dust, and then to dust you shall return. And that's true. Um, you know, whether you're buried or cremated, it's just a matter of time. So it either happens really fast, <laughs> or it happens over like however many years. But eventually, your body breaks down, and you become ashes again. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Dust you shall return. Um, also, you'll notice here that um, for Adam, it's, it's, that it, it's, it's basically like an increased um, a hardship of labor is what it is. See, back in the garden, one of the things, well, the world was perfect, all right? When um, God told Adam that his job is to work the fields, is to work the garden, and so for those of you who picture the Garden of Eden as, you know, um, a beach chair with an umbrella and lemonade, you're wrong. <laughs> because his jo- he had a job. He worked. He showed up. He went to work. And, 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 uh, and that's what he did. Well, the world was perfect. So, so that's what he did there. But what we find here in um, chapter 3 is part of his curse is going to be this increase of hardship of labor. And, and, and so the ground is not always going to produce vegetation. It's going to have, uh, you know, it's going to have bad soil. It's going to have bad crops from time to time. All right. Um, so let me just kind of pause here for a second. And here's a question. It says this. Is there significance calling Eve woman versus Adam by name in verses 16 and 17? Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so whenever God is cursing 
um, each party here. You're right, in uh, verse 16, to the woman, he says, whereas he doesn't say to Eve, he says to the woman. And then in verse 17, it doesn't say into the man, it says into Adam. Um, to be totally honest with you, I haven't uh, read much about that, about any significance around there. And so, um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say there might be, but I just don't know what that is. And, and for me, I'm not going to read too much into it. So that's how I'll answer that question. Here's another question. Was it not a thought that they could reproduce before they ate from the tree and God told her about childbirth? Yeah, so, um, so they definitely could reproduce. Um, one of the things that we find in Genesis 1, verse uh, 26 and 27, is that God, whenever he creates Adam and Eve, he says, then go forth and multiply. And we find that command, we find that um, the reproduction mandate in chapter one, and that's all before the fall, okay? And so God's already commanding uh, to, to reproduce before the fall. And so, um, so I, yeah, I mean, as, as far as this question goes, was it not a thought that they could reproduce before they ate from the tree and God told her about childbirth? And so, yeah, I guess that um, what he's, so yeah, I think it was a thought that they could reproduce. Um, and now he's saying, basically, hey, as you have children, and so for her, she's already kind of thinking about children, um, but now there's just going to be this increased pain. And so, so I think there is for that. Uh, really quickly, just since you guys are, are talking about names and so forth here, is that uh, Eve, um, basically what it means is it means uh, life. It means um, the, the literal uh, Hebrew word for it is hava. And the only reason, I'm not smart, the only reason I know that is because my brother who's nerd, nerd, all right, uh, he decided to name his daughter Hava. And everyone was like, really? <laughs> it's like, like, what's her name? Her name is Elizabeth? No, it's Hava. Oh, okay. You know, but, uh, but he, he, it's, uh, it's, it's from Eve. And so really you take E-V-E, and, and really in the Hebrew, it'd be A-V-A, and it would have a rough A, so Hava, uh, it means life, uh, and it means, um, you know, uh, yeah, so it means life, which is pretty cool. And so actually, let me just read one more verse, because I think it talks about that here, and then we'll uh, continue. Oh, oh, I see what happened, sorry. So especially to, yeah, thank you, James. See, see James is smart, you guys. He's pointing out something that Eve is not named until verse 20. So in verse 20, let's read this. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. Yeah, so named her Eve, this Hava, life, because she's the mother of all living things. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So, so part of what God does is even in the midst of their shame and their hiding, Notice that God still provides for them. That, that God makes for them clothing. I find that very fascinating. So um, what, I, what I do is I want to pause here for just a minute um, because we're out of time. And um, next week we'll come back and we'll finish this and we'll get into uh, chapter four. Uh, so the progression here is that God created everything good Adam and Eve messed it up. <laughs> and then in verse 4, we're going to see, or chapter 4, we're really going to see where sin starts to take hold. 
And, and now people are living their life of sin and the consequences for it. But before I uh, completely close, I just want to say this, is that um, going back to verse 15, is that we have this promise of a Messiah, one who is to come, who is going to, um, uh, who's going to crush Satan's head. And, and so the deal is that if you've ever felt like you've been tempted by Satan and you've ever uh, committed a sin against God, which is all of us, and, and we've all um, disobeyed God, just remember that Jesus came and crushed and defeated Satan on the cross. And it's because of the cross that we have forgiveness and that if we believe in that and we, and we go to God saying we're sorry and not playing the blame game like Adam and Eve did, not playing the blame game, not excusing our sin away, but saying, God, I'm really sorry for this. And then, then we can receive forgiveness. And it's that forgiveness that was won on the cross. And so with that, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for this, this text, uh, Genesis 3, that, that talks about the original sin, about how Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent and they wanted to be like you. And it turns out, Lord, that the, um, it turns out that the promise of that sin was a complete lie, that they weren't like you, but instead uh, they, they saw who they were and they were shameful. And, and so, Lord, we confess that there's been times, too, that we've sinned against you, that we've eaten the fruit. There's been times that we've been naked and ashamed and we've hid and we've blamed others whenever we're confronted. And so, God, we just want to say that we're sorry and we pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, Lord, that we um, continue to rely on you and that we um, strive to follow you in everything that we do. In all this we pray. Amen.